0: Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Aren't you glad he made something out of nothing? If it wouldn't have been for that, we'd be nothing, all right, that's for sure. Thank God that we're something, someone in Christ Jesus. And that's good news. Well, go ahead, take your Bibles if you would. Turn over to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. Now, I have a couple of things for you. I have an official joke writer these days. Yes, I do. A budding star. A budding star. And so he shared some jokes with me that I thought I would share with you. I, I have um, a number of them that I'm going to share. First one goes like this. What do you call a fake orchestra? A symphony That's pretty good. I like that one. How about this one? Why did the pirate join the opera? Because he could hit the high seas. Caleb, go ahead and stand up. There's my official joke writer right there. Caleb Orr. Yeah, it's good. So hold on, we're not done yet. You can have a seat, brother. Yeah, I don't want you stealing all the thunder. Ludwig von Beethoven is still decomposing. <laughs> That's, I like that. That's pretty good. A little morbid, but good. Why did the cops arrest the tree? He seemed shady. Oh, by the way, I want you to know, he wrote those himself. He didn't read those somewhere. He wrote those. Amen? Thank you, Caleb. I appreciate those. Those were good. Yeah, some good stuff. One day he's going to write a book on joke, a joke book. He's going to send me a copy all signed by Caleb, and you're not going to charge me for it. <clears throat> right? It'll be a free one, right? Okay, good. All right, good. Sounds good. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 36 Beginning in verse 18, we started, or we've been dealing with this uh, series for a little while. Of course, I took a few weeks sabbatical or took a few weeks off, but uh, we've been talking about getting back to God, and as we talked about that, we said we need to get back to God for our country, for our culture, for our children, for our churches, and we started off by saying, okay, if we're going to get back to God, we need to get back to the Bible, back to the Bible, and so we spent some time talking about that. And we took our text out of this book, Jeremiah chapter 36, in verse 18, we read there, Then Barak answered them, he pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then said the princes unto Barak, Go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye be. And they went in to the king, into the court, but they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehadi to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishema, the scribe's chamber. And Jehadi read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehadi had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth. Until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the earth, we go on to read, however, that it doesn't end quite like that. It goes on in verse twenty-nine to say, "And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus saith the Lord: Thou hast burned this roll, saying, Why hast thou written therein, saying, The king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land, and shall cause to cease from uh, and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast.'" Verse 32, then took Jeremiah another role. You got to understand the king's not happy because in the first reading, as he's reading the scroll, as he's reading the word of God, he's recognizing and realizing that the God of heaven is actually stating that as a nation, they should submit, they should yield. They're not going to defeat the Babylonians. They're not going to come out and be victorious. In the end, they're going to be taken captive. He didn't like that kind of response. He didn't want to hear that news. He, certainly, that can't be from God. That cannot be from Jehovah. It cannot allow some wicked nation to take us and to, 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 to somehow punish us. I mean, we're God's people. Well, he wasn't real happy. And so, nonetheless, he cuts up the role. He destroys the Word of God. He burns it in the fire. But we see that you don't get rid of God's Word that easy. Verse 32, then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Barak the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein the, from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jeremiah Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burnt in the fire. So everything that had been burnt up is now being rewritten. Hold on. And there were added besides unto them many like words. Well, God wasn't done yet. He said, guess what? We got a few more words for him, Jeremiah. And so we see here that the word of God was burned, but in the end, you don't get rid of the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is God's word. It's not man's word. It's not some nation's word. It's God's word. The Bible says in the book of Psalm chapter 19, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You can burn every copy of the Bible you want here on earth, but I'm going to tell you there's a copy still there. Amen. It's settled. God's not forgotten his word. Go ahead and destroy it all you want, but somehow, way, he's going to make sure it's still here. And so we discussed some of those things. We said, listen, if we're going to get back to God, we've got to get back to the Word of God. And so we noted that skepticism is on the rise. We, 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 we also noted that trust in the Bible's reliability is quickly fading. To summarize all of it, we noted Barna's findings and we said he he said quote, with each passing year, the percent of Americans who believe that the Bible is just another book written by men increases. So too do the perceptions that the Bible is actually harmful and that people who live by its principles are religious extremists. Isn't that an amazing commentary? It's all based on statistics. As the national trend indicates a departure from the Word of God, it's time that you and I get back to the Bible. If there's ever been a day and ever been a time where we need the Word of God more than ever, it's now. In a trending culture, a culture that's trending away from the Bible, we need to go back to it. We don't just need a Bible to help us live a better life. We need a Bible that's authoritative. We need a Bible that indeed is recognized as God's Word. A Bible that affects our life daily. And ultimately, we can trust and depend upon for eternity. And so we said we gotta get back to, We got to get back to the Bible. If we're going to get back to God, we've got to get back to the Bible. And we said we've got to get back to the Bible as God's Word. We said it was supernaturally conceived or inspired by God. God breathed. We said that it's supernaturally preserved, that those originals may not exist, but God supernaturally preserved the Word of God. And that it wasn't man's job to keep the Bible pure. It's always been his job. It's his Word, and he's the one that's preserving it. From this generation, he said, forever, in the book of Psalm chapter 12. So we noted God's Word. It needs to be Viewed as God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. But we've got to get back to the Bible as our final authority. We said, how sad. And, 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 and listen, I, I thought about this. How sad is it when we stand up and shout concerning the inerrancy of Scripture, but then neglect the authority of it in our lives? Well, the Bible's the Word of God, but then we don't allow it to be the authority in our life. Boy, how hypocritical is that? The Bible says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And so statistically, we see again a a rapid changing moral code. A departure from biblical absolutes. Among those adults of no faith, two-thirds agree, or 67%, agree that only truth, that the only truth one can know is whatever is right for one's own life. Can you imagine that? Two-thirds of adults Two thirds of American adults say that the only that, that 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 the the only truth one can know is whatever is right for one's own self. That's an amazing, amazing concept. A sad concept. Matter of fact, it goes on. Statistically, it says about two thirds of all American adults again, 65% agree either strongly or somewhat that every culture must determine what is acceptable. More, what is acceptable morality for its people that the culture needs to determine that that society itself needs to determine what is acceptable morality in it and so we see that we need to get back to god by getting back to the bible the bible is god's word and the bible is our final authority and so today I want to begin by picking up with that idea of, the, of, of getting back to the Bible as our final authority. There's a few others we'll discuss as well, but I want to, I'm wondering it, to myself a little bit, and I'm, I want to answer the question a little bit. What has undermined God's word and its authority in, in our, our culture, even in the church? What's done that? I mean, we need to get back to it as our final authority. And you say, well, we do believe it's our final authority. Do we? And so let's consider, I begin as we begin to like, pick up where we left off, let's begin with that thought. What has undermined God's word and its authority today? And then we'll move along in our lesson, or message, and we'll hope to get through the rest of this particular one tonight. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this privilege and opportunity, Father, just to go to your word. What a precious book it is. And, and Lord, it's your word. It's, it's so precious to us. Literally, a, a message, a love letter from you. And Lord, you instruct us and you inspire us and you encourage us from it. Lord, you empower us even as a result of the Word of God by its promises and its truths. And we thank you so much, Father. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that illuminates us and enables us, Lord, to understand the Word. And Lord, gives us insights as, we, as necessary. Lord, thank you, Father, that it explains and it... it, it, it It just outlines, Father, how we are to live and how we're to act and how we're to think. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God. Now bless us tonight, Lord, and may we be encouraged. And Father, may we be changed if needed. In Christ's name, amen. So what has undermined God's Word and its authority then? I mean, we need to get back to the Bible as our final authority. So what has caused it maybe to lose its place somewhat? Well, number one is pride. Boy, pride has really affected our own conceit, if you will. I mean, we just think we know better than God at times. And someone says, I don't believe that. Wait a second, how do we live our lives? When we face an obstacle, or we face a situation or a circumstance in our life, do we base our solution solely on the Word of God? Or do we take into consideration our upbringing? Do we take into consideration our, our, our teaching or our schooling? Do we allow other influences in the world to dictate or determine how we will handle the problem, or do we truly go to the Word of God and say, whatever He says, however He says to handle it, that's how I'm going to do it, no matter what or how I feel. Our pride. We start to think, well, you know what? I know what God says, but. I know what the Word of God teaches, however. Boy, I tell you what, that's where our pride's stepping in then. Romans 1.22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Isn't that a sad truth? The moment we profess ourselves to be wiser than God is the very moment that we ourselves have become the greatest of all fools. When we tell the Creator that the creature knows more than Him, that's a problem, isn't it? And so our pride, that has undermined the authority of God's Word. That's undermined... It as our final authority. Not only that, but progress itself has affected it. I mean, that progress has somewhat convinced us at times that we don't need God. And and, and we can kind of go back and we can look at Revelation, and this this verse would kind of work with the next two, really. But it says, Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He says, listen, you know, the, the culture, and even he's talking specifically about the church in that last, those latter days here. But, I mean, think about our world and think about even the church in general. We have allowed progress itself to, if you will, undermine the authority of the word of God. You say, how do you, How's that happened? Well, think about how, how progressive we are with, with provision today. I mean, we have grocery stores, we have fast food, we've got microwaves, we've got soup kitchens, we've got all kinds of means by which to feed America. I know you hear all these commercials about how everybody's starving in America today, but it's funny how the people that are starving have big screen TVs. I'm a little bit fed up with it, to be frank with you. Now listen, I understand there are some that are starving, but may I say to you today, it is not a food problem. It is a family problem. It's something we've got to deal with. We've got to get into the home and fix mom and dad, or fix mom or fix dad, or fix grandma fix grandpa. We've got to get to where the priorities become God's priorities. It's the Bible that we need in the home, not the food of the world. The food of the scriptures is what we need. Well, we need God's word. And we say, well, we have need of nothing. You need something, you run to the store. You need something, maybe, you even go to public assistance. you got all kinds of options. you got all kinds of answers. We all do today. But wait a second, where have we come to the place where we stop begging God, we stop seeking God? We've come to the place where we don't need God anymore. We have so much provision. We're the richest nation in the world. Or one of the richest, sadly enough, we're starting to say things like that where before we had no doubt we were. provision. What about protection? What in the world do we need God's protection for when we've got the armies that we have, the technology within the military that we possess? I mean, you think about the police and the security systems and the lawyers and the courts, and really if you even, all your rights are are being affected, you can get a hold of the ACLU or some other group to, to represent you and to meet your need and to stand up for you and to take your position and to help you get through that tough time. I'm telling you, what do we need? God. We need the word of God. We've made so much progress in provision and protection. What about prosperity itself? Then we got our cars and we've got our homes and we've got things, more things than we ever need. The majority of us could do well by going through our closets and our drawers and throwing away some things. We've got so much. It's undermining the authority of the Word of God in our lives. Our pride, our progress, our public schools, our institutions of higher learning. Anytime a system of higher learning believes itself to be higher than God, there's a problem. In First Timothy 6.20, the Bible says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. I'm going to tell you something, and don't, don't rest your hat on a Christian school, my friend. You better make sure that you know what they're teaching too, because not all of them are standing where they need to stand either. As it's obvious today that in the school system we've removed the Bible, we've removed prayer, we've replaced it with evolution and relativism and secular humanism, tolerance and maybe other anti-God philosophies. It's quite obvious, but I'm going to tell you something, even within the Christian home today, these influences are taking root. Bob Jones Sr., he said this, he said, education without salvation is damnation. Luther, in the 16th century, in the 16th century, he made this statement, I'm much afraid that schools will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor to explain the Holy Scriptures, engraving them in the hearts of youth. Then I'll tell you what, that's an amazing thing to think about, that back in the 1600s, a man, a man that claimed to be a Christian looked at the system of education and said, if we don't get a handle on education, if we don't keep it focused on the Word of God, if we don't allow this to be its foundation, then we're going to have a real mess on our hands. Thank God for Christian teachers. Thank God for Christians in the school system that are standing for Christ. But I'll tell you what, we've seen the undermining of the authority of God's word through our, because of our pride and our progress. Our public schools, what about public television? Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Austin L. Sorensen, in a book called Pain, Where pain, a Pain Pill Can't Help, Pain where pain pills can't help. It's, it's about television, and he's, he's sharing some statistics. And it's I guess the focus of it is basically this. The television, set he says, has designed our pattern for thinking and thus living. He goes on, today the first thing to captivate the infant in the cradle is probably that iridescent, inexhaustible screen. At least one study has shown that By the age of three, children are purposeful viewers who can name their favorite programs. By the age of three. Young children two to five years old now, he goes on, watch television over four hours every day. Nearly 30 hours a week. That's more than 1,500 hours every year. By the time a youngster enters first grade, he or she had 6,000 hours of television viewing. I don't know if that alarms you, but that's a problem, I think. I think that's a real concern. I ran into a mother that's not even a Christian one, uh, not, not too awfully long ago, right before I left to hear this last few weeks. Got to talking to her at the door. She began to share with me a truth. She said, I do not let my child, uh, I don't let my child uh, watch television. I have friends and family that do. And they tell me I'm nuts. She said, the only television my child does watch, and she does permit some, is educational things. Her two-year-old counts to 100. Her two-year-old can literally talk. I'm like, what? I don't know if that's exaggeration from a mother that's extremely proud or if that's legit, but I'm going to tell you something. We are dumbing down our children by putting them in front of a television set. And we're doing it out of convenience because it's a cheap babysitter in most cases. May I encourage you to be very careful what you allow to influence your children. And by the way, there's not that much of television that isn't undermining the authority of the Word of God. It's amazing, what was racy 10 years ago is now socially acceptable behavior. Boy, we need to be careful. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, I believe one of the young men preached on this while I was gone. In those days there was no king in Israel, I believe it was brother Brad. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. See, when the, the true authority is removed and replaced, there's nothing to combat self-promoting or propagating philosophies and every man can do that which is right in his own eyes when you take this authority away then yours is just as good as the next and so is mine what about public figure, figures today undermining the authority. how in the world is is the word of god being undermined in our culture and our world public figures are doing it constantly Hollywood stars, sports figures, recording artists, the rich and the famous are held in such high esteem today. Their lives are paraded across the stage and and we look at that as being reality. I'm going to tell you something. I still believe. I like that lime green dress that the queen wore the other day at the wedding. I liked it. I'm up on this stuff. And, and, and what's that, Kate Middleton or Milton? Yeah, the other lady that's actually in the family now. I don't believe that was a white dress at all. Middleton, that's her name. It was an off-white, which means it was perfectly acceptable. That's my fashion statement for the day. But I'm going to tell you what, we see today that Unfortunately, sports figures and those that have money and those that are up in echelon and, 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 and so forth, they have a tremendous amount of influence. And unfortunately the real tragedy to all this is that in many cases their lives are desperately miserable. Desperately miserable. And yet we somehow have bought into the idea that their lifestyle and Their ideology and their philosophies are so liberating and lead to so much success, so much happiness, when that is so untrue. Well, I'll tell you what, we're undermining the authority. Oh, by the way, what about pastors, priests, and politicians? You can't take them out of the equation. I'm going to tell you what, the, the word of God is not safe among any group anymore, it seems. Sadly enough, even preachers, if you're not careful, find their way to undermine the authority of the Word of God. We've got to be careful. Just because someone wears a collar, because somebody wears a suit, or because somebody stands behind a pulpit, or walks upon a stage and proclaims to know Christ, does not mean that they are literally elevating the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why you ought to keep your Bible close, and that's why you ought to always check it, and you ought to review the Word of God, you ought to look at it yourself, you ought to Take into consideration what is being said and make sure that it's aligning itself with the word of God and not take just my word for it. 2 Peter 2, 1 says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. We need to get back to the Bible We need to get back to it as God's word. We need to get back to it as the final authority, our final authority. But not only that, we need to get back to the Bible as our faith and practice. Yes, final authority, but also that faith and practice. If we believe that the Bible is the word of God and elevate it to its rightful place in our lives, then it will be the object of our faith and practice. It'll be the foundation for it. When that takes place, we will be doers of the word. Look if you would in James chapter one, verse twenty two. Again, we'll be doers of the word. In my own life I know the big struggle is to be not just a hearer, but a doer. It's a constant battle. And if I as a preacher struggle at times with that, I'm sure that you probably as people of God struggle just like I do. We are just God's people and we are placed in a world that is undermining the authority of the word of God and is trying to remove it as our faith and practice. Boy, it makes it difficult at times. But in James 1.22, we are given a directive, a command. He says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But when we are simply hearers of the word, then we are deceiving ourselves. We are seeing ourselves a little bit too elevated many times. We recognize ourselves as being quite spiritual, when in reality we aren't as spiritual as we believe ourselves to be. We are deceiving ourselves. If we're not literally allowing the word of God to be the basis of our faith and practice, then we're probably not everything we believe ourselves to be. And we're simply deceiving ourselves. And we will allow it to affect our lives. If indeed we put the word of God in its rightful place, then we will be doers and not hearers only. And we'll allow it to affect our lives. We'll allow it to affect our every relationship. We'll allow it to affect our attitude, our actions, our desires. It'll affect our goals and our aspirations, our priorities, our decisions. It'll affect our future. If it indeed is the authority in our life and the basis of faith and practice. When John Wanamaker, a very famous merchant, was 11 years old, he purchased a small red-letter Bible for $2.75, and he paid for it in small installments. Later he said of the purchase, I have made large purchases of property in my time involving millions of dollars. But it was as a boy that I made my greatest purchase. That little red book was the foundation on which my life has been built and has made possible all that has counted in my life. I know now that it was the greatest investment and the most important purchase I ever made. A very rich and very successful business. the greatest purchase he ever made the greatest investment he ever made a millionaire millions of a millionaire over and over again if indeed we're going to get back to the bible we need to get back to the bible as god's word we need to get back to the bible as our final authority. We need to get back to the Bible as our faith and practice. And we need to get back to the Bible as our only hope. Our only hope. Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Psalm, chapter 119. Let's just take a look at a couple of verses here. Begin in verse 67. I'm just going to walk through verse uh, chapter 119. Again, one, chapter 119 is the greatest chapter in the Bible of God, a man's love for the Word of God. If you ever want to develop a love for God's Word, you need to go to chapter 119. You need to read chapter one. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It goes on forever. Let me tell you what, it's sweet though. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. He said, Man, I, I mean, before I was afflicted, I went astray. I was, I, I was finding it so smooth and so easy going that it was easy to go my own direction, do my own thing. But now, because of that affliction, oh man, let me tell you something. I've kept thy word now. I I don't go astray now. Now the word of God has taken the rightful place that it belongs in my life. Let me ask you something. If the Bible doesn't have its rightful place in your life, my life, what does God have to do to put it there? Why don't we just allow the word of God to be what it ought to be in a Christian's life? Every believer ought to make the Word of God important. It ought to be valuable, and it ought to be truly our hope. In Psalm 119, 105, look at what the psalmist says about the Word of God again. Man, that's amazing to me, though. That psalmist, he looks at his trials, he looks at his trouble, and he says, man, those things right there, i got to thank you for them, Lord, because those made me understand how much I needed you and your Word. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I mean, how many times have we dismissed the word of God in our lives? How many times have we set it aside for some other wisdom, someone else's perspective? Let me listen to Dr. Phil. Let me, uh, you know, uh, hear what Oprah has to say. Let me hear what some other sports figures, a pers- uh, position is on the subject. Let me hear what some preacher believes or thinks. Let me run to the internet and get the answer. Why don't we go to God's word? Well, I'll tell you what, the psalmist says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And this book right here is what, what lightens my way. This is what exposes the dangers around the bend, if you will. This is what enables me to walk safely in this life and get where I'm supposed to be and get where I'm supposed to go. The word of God. Notice he says in Psalm 119, verse 133, he cries out to God in chapter 119, verse 133, order my steps in thy word. And let not iniquity have dominion over me. You know what the implication is? If God's not ordering our steps from the word of God, we are stepping somewhere other than where God is. Yeah, amen. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand what the word of God's trying to teach us? The psalmist is making it clear here. Order my steps in thy word. Make sure that I'm following your blueprint. Make sure that I'm traveling your course. Your path. Make sure that I'm taking the GPS of the Word of God and I'm following it to a T. Oh Lord, speak to me. Lord, reveal to me the direction and the pathway that I ought to go. I want to make sure that my steps are ordered. That every step I'm taking aligns itself with your Word. Because if I'm not aligning myself with your Word, then I'm not in alignment with you at all. Psalm 119. Verse 162, the psalmist says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Sounds like John Wanamaker now, doesn't he? That great businessman who said, man, my greatest purchase was none other than that little red Bible. Man, I I mean to tell you, Lord, the psalmist says, I'm rejoicing at thy word. I love thy word. And boy, every time I read it, I rejoice because I know that I find you in it. And I know that I find leadership and direction in it. I rejoice in it. It brings me great joy. It's as though I found a great treasure. It's as though I've conquered a nation and taken the spoils. It ought to be our only hope. I mean, when trouble hits, when trials strike, when situations and circumstances in our lives raise their ugly head, when our our marriages are struggling and when our children are going astray and when life seems to be overwhelming us, it ought to be the word of God we turn to first. We ought to find great hope in the word of God. We could talk about how important it is in salvation But tonight I speak to you as a congregation of believers and I believe even in the lives of believers, if we're not careful, we have found our way or we've seen ourselves drifting if not careful away from this as our final authority. This is our faith and practice. This is our final and only hope. If you're lost today, I want you to know without the word of God, you are in real trouble You will never find your way to God without this precious book, the Word of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I send you, he that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. we got to hear the Word of God. Boy, I tell you, that's why it's so important as we go into the world and we knock on doors or we talk to the cash register, the one running the cash register or, or to our insurance agent or whomever it might be that we're speaking to. It's important that we always bring up the word of God and if given opportunity, open it up. Let them see it for themselves. Let them hear it. And God will do the work in their life. It's not us. It's him. It's him. So here's the real question tonight, I guess. How important is the Word of God to you? How important is it to me? A preacher had tied the knot and was writing out the marriage certificate. The young man, who appeared extremely nervous, spoke up at last, and he said, Well, Reverend, how much do I owe you? The preacher smiled, and he said, Well, <laughs> As much as you think the girl's worth. The young fella handed him a dollar. And the minister, he just took it without comment. The young man, he was kind of reluctant to leave. In fact, the minister thought he was going to get rid of the couple. Wasn't going to get rid of the couple. He said, have I forgotten anything? My change, said the young man. I don't know about you, but if I was the wife of that young fella, I'd be having a real hard time. I mean, if that's all I was worth to him was a few cents or a little bit of chump change, I'd have a real problem. May I say today that this book, the Word of God, ought to have tremendous value in our lives. And it may cost us something to put it where it belongs and to keep it out front and to put it on the top shelf instead of the bottom, but may I say today that it's worth the price It's time to get back to God. Excuse me. Time to get back to God and it's time to get back to the Bible. But we'll never get back to it unless we think it's important or valuable. Charles Anderson Dana He lived between 1819 and 1897. He was the editor-in-chief of the New York Sun under whose management it grew to become one of the largest newspapers in the country. He also served as assistant secretary of war during the Civil War. He wrote this. He said, I believe in Christianity, that it is the religion taught to men by God himself in in person on earth. I also believe the Bible to be a divine revelation Christianity is not comparable with any other religion. It is the religion which came from God's own lips, and therefore the only true religion. The incarnation is a fact, and Christianity is based on revealed truth. There are some books that are absolutely indispensable to the kind of education that we are contemplating and to the profession that we are now considering. And of all of these, the most indispensable, the most effective, is the bible there is no book from which more valuable lessons can be learned i am considering it now as a manual of utility or professional preparation and a professional use for for as a excuse me and a professional use for a journalist there is no book whose style is more suggestive and more instructive from which you learn more directly that sublime simplicity Wait, excuse me, I need to say this. this is very, they used to really, they were smart in those days. There is no book whose style is more suggestive and more instructive, from which you learn more directly that sublime simplicity, which never exaggerated, which recounts the greatest event with a solemn, solemnity of, of course, but without sentimentality or affection, none which you open with such confidence and lay down with such reverence. There is no book like the Bible, he said. Can you believe that? I mean, we're talking about the secretary, the assistant secretary of war during the Civil War, elevating the Word of God, magnifying the Word of God, lifting up the Word of God. If we're going to get back to God, then we've got to get back to the Bible. The Bible is God's word, our final authority, our faith and practice, and our only hope. May God help us as believers to put the Bible where it belongs, to elevate it to its proper place in our life, our marriages, our homes, and our churches. And if you're lost today without Christ, Your only hope is this book, The Blessed Word of God, because within it are contained the precious promises of God that guarantee that your sin can be washed away and forgiven, that you too can live and abide with Christ, that you no longer have to bear the burden of your sin or the guilt and shame of it, but instead cast it at the feet of Jesus and find rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord promised to do so. May you, as an unbeliever, recognize Christ today as your only hope, a Christ that is explained, described, and extended through this book, the Word of God today. And if we're children of God today, let's make sure that we lift it up where it belongs in our life, our marriages, our families, our homes, and our churches. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the privilege that we have to know...